0: Samuel Clemson, better known as Mark Twain, delivers us the story cannibalism in the cars, which I got to admit, I kind of thought was going to be a metaphor about materialism for material objects like cars. It was literally about cannibalism in
1: cars. <laughs> On a train. Cannibal- train cars, be a, yeah. yeah, train cars. This would be a great <laughs> horror movie. Uh, I mean, there's that train to Busan. Maybe that took influence from this. It's really good.
0: Yeah. Yep. So the opening is one of those. So we've read two stories tonight. Interestingly enough, we record two stories a night. This is both stories. This is the second story now where they have like a a framed narrative, like an intro where you have this guy that's like, hey, man, like and he seems amiable. He seems nice. He seems knowledgeable about laws and how the government kind of works. And he's like, all right i'm gonna tell you this story but don't you interrupt me little guy and, and you're like okay you're like, well, tell it tell your story man and then he launches into this horror-filled cannibalism story right what's with the frame narrative like h- how did you take this
1: i think it sets it up brilliantly to like is this real is this guy joking with me is this gonna be a ghost story What what's happening here i mean if you know Mark Twain, then you might know that you know he was big into satire and you know racism and the pro- societal problems of you know his life and the time period he lived. But you don't. If you know that, then you maybe kind of know where it's going. But if you don't know that, if there was no author attached to this, I think it would set you up of is this science fiction? Is this horror? Is the what is this? And I love that. I, I think that it was done brilliantly. And being that I know Mark Twain, I was like, oh, this is gonna be some deep satirical stuff of, you know, Mark Twain, you know, putting his thumb on the pulse and knowing exactly what's happening in society.
0: Okay, well you probably know more about him than me, because I, I don't know a ton. I, I'm looking at this where okay, the guy's nice, we're we're setting things up. It's almost like when when someone's nice, you want to like write them off as not a threat. Right? Right. And to me, it's kind of like I think sometimes people want to be the master of their weakness of their enemy, in a sense. So it's like when he's telling me that this guy is he's really good at laws, he, he knows how laws work and how to how to lobby and be, be the politician. Right. Like when I think about politicians, they never just do things randomly. They're usually doing it for a specific cause. I think sometimes maybe even to cover things up. I mean, I hate to be pessimistic, right? But like the guy that that first proposed, like, "Hey, uh, after seven years, we shouldn't be guilty of a crime anymore," right? It's just like, okay, what'd you do seven years ago, man? Like, come <laughs> on. <man. laughs> like, like yeah. this guy, we find out by the end. You know, well, hey, hey, we'll get there. We'll get there. Let's 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 jump into the story, shall we? Okay. Yeah. What we're 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 headed on this train. And it's snowing, right? Like, and I don't mean like snowing. I mean like massive. Blizzard, Weather yeah. front, storm, blizzard, train stops, the drive wheel or whatever it was broke. They're stuck.
1: It's, yeah, they're stuck, stuck.
0: Yeah, and, and and the narrative does a good job, I think, of being like, look, everybody's really nice. We're getting along, right? Like there's no ulterior motive, right? We've got wood, so we're not gonna be cold. We're just gonna be hungry, Right, like it it makes sure that there's a thrust to the story, and I think it was about this point where I'm like, oh, okay, so cannibalism and cars, okay, now I get where you're going with that title.
1: (laughs) Oh, I think it comes to the point of, in any situation like this, what is going to be the breaking point? In here, it's like, okay, it's going to be man versus man, and what is going to cause them to break and cause them to go into that. Craziness of willing to eat one another to survive.
0: Well, it's it's the ultimate taboo, right? Like like that's one of those dirty words that I don't know. Like when you read stories about cannibalism, it's it's creepy sometimes. And the way that you know, it's like you said, it's satirical. Like it's very flippant the way it's brought up. Like like even the way that like they broach the subject, it's not like. Hey, um, if we don't eat, we might. No, no, no. It's like an ebullient, energetic, like, Gentlemen, it cannot be delayed longer. The time is at hand. We must determine which of us shall die to furnish food for the rest. Like, all exclamations, all very eloquent, all very matter-of-fact. It's very strange the way the taboo is just put on the table in front of all of these gentlemen. (laughs)
1: I think that's because, like you said, cannibalism is very taboo. I think for a couple of reasons: is it's psychological, the horror of eating another person. Uh, You know, and you can what you say. You know, argue about you know animals or plants or whatever, but we have conscience, souls, spirits, whatever it is. And, you know, there's a lot of belief systems, you know, like uh, that, you know, when you eat somebody, you know, or eat an animal, you take its energy, its essence. Uh, So you're are you stealing someone's soul if you, you know, consume Mm. them? So there's this, you know, whole spiritual aspect of it. There's the psychological aspect to it. Uh, And then them to be so almost just like flippant about it, you know, the proclamation of, hey, we've got to decide. Who's for dinner tomorrow? Like that, just then it being so nonchalant, <laughs> it's it's kind of crazy. Of like, wait a minute, like we're we're gonna eat one of us? Like, and then you start to think, how can I make it not be me? Yeah, I I, I don't want to die, and I don't want to be eaten either because that like insult to injury, lot heavier assaults.
0: It almost starts out without design. I nominate that dude. I I nominate him. He's from Boston. Screw Boston, right? Like, (laughs) like, like it's very (laughs) casual the way they're just voting on each other. And then it gets even humorous where they're like, we all vote for this guy, but he didn't agree. So then we did a revote, and he still didn't agree. So we don't know what to do now. Like, (laughs) there's a lot of humor to it.
1: And this is where I think a lot of the satirical part on our government that twain is making fun of at least that's how i took it
0: i i mean i knew it was government related but i'm not sure how like walk me through like what you viewed of it because i mean i think most people get it when they look at it like there's like the voting they can't agree upon a vote uh they 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 can't even like follow the rules that they're constantly calling each other out but like it seems like politic bickering like like what did this mean at the time for politics per se
1: well, at the time, you got to remember the country has fallen apart and kind of being put back together again. And how are we going to decide what's going to happen? Who gets to vote? Um, you know, women can't vote yet. You know, uh, there's very heavy restrictions in the South on voting. And these rules, like you said, don't seem to make any sense whatsoever. Uh, and then it's something as simple as I, I, I feel like, you know, that that Twain was not a fan like of the Electoral College. That why should everybody's vote almost seemingly feel like it doesn't matter, you know, if you're the guy that's gonna be eaten? <laughs> Shouldn't your vote be the most? Shouldn't your vote count the most? Uh you know, and and if you think about how people are chosen in our country, and I, I think the founding fathers did the best they could, but Twain lives in a different era than them. It's It's been decades and decades and decades since the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and how things are decided. Technology's changed. Communication has changed. Think about how voting took place in the late 1700s. There was no telegraph. There were no trains. None of those things had been invented. Now you can have people communicate in newspapers, and a lot more people can read. A lot more people can get this knowledge. A lot more people—different people are voting now— Why shouldn't the voting rules and laws change as the people have changed themselves? Same thing Mm -hmm. nowadays. I mean, if Poe wrote this nowadays, I know that he would do it something as like poking fun of social media that we can all vote on TV. Who is the best singer every single week, but we can't all seem to vote on a president you know, it's like thirty, forty percent turnout. You have to do it this one day, these certain hours at this certain place. Like that's ridiculous, and I, I think that that Twain's kind of trying to make that point that our voting is way too constrained.
0: What year did this come out? Was it like mid mid eighteen like eight mid eighteen sixties probably.
1: Yeah, this came out post-Civil War, so it's 1868. Again, we're trying to put the country back together again. Uh, you know, we just kind of had, you know, a, a president assassinated. Where are we going to go with this? So this is a very uh, uh, volatile time in politics in the United States.
0: Okay, and this is anthologized frequently as like the top, you know, like one of the top American stories, right? So you, you raise some interesting questions. If you compare America's system— political system compared to others you know 1868 we're not too far removed from wow um we're talking there's a lot going on in the world your europe's going gone through like you know 50 years earlier through a lot of uh, monarchies being overturned right we have serfdom was abolished in russia right we have monarchies being challenged so what was interesting about america's political system is like you said is each person got there was a voting system right where one vote was worth one point essentially and you almost kind of have them mocking that in a sense where one vote is overturned by that one guy per se and like shouldn't his vote matter more or is it all votes matter like it's kind of interesting the way that it's poking fun at we don't know how to govern ourselves let alone do we follow that system when it doesn't meet our needs Right. It's kind of like um, remember the lottery by Shirley Jackson.
1: Oh, we yeah. All agreed yeah. to <laughs> yeah.
0: vote until you're the person that's voted against. Right. Only only then do you become like that person that's no longer a fan of the system and want to overturn it. And, and you have those people here that are like almost like indulging in being in the winning side of the vote. Right. Cause they're like, oh, we had so and so and he was juicy. I wrote to his wife how fantastic he was. And it's just like, oh, that's so creepy and hilarious. At the same time, I'm embarrassed to laugh at this.
1: <laughs> well, Twain does a good job of hitting where it hurts. We all are participating in this without our, you know, choice. Like, I didn't choose to be born here in this country. I can choose whether I want to vote or not. Do I feel like my vote counts is something that maybe uh, Twain and all of us have always questioned, you know, at least once in our life, like you go into the little booth and you're going to be thinking about voting and you you question like, does this matter? And then if you get past that and you're like, okay, th- this is my civic duty. I should do this. People fought and died for this. Uh, this is something some people didn't have because of things like gender and uh, their their skin color. And then you think to yourself, am I making the right choice? And why have I made these choices? And like on the train, you know, are you picking the the, the guy that looks like he has the most for dinner? <laughs> uh, you know, is he the right choice? And I, I think that that's something that we all struggle with is how do we make these very, very important life or death decisions?
0: Well, I wonder too, does the situation highlight the... I'm going to say the irrationality that we could potentially solve everything through a vote can, can, can truly popular vote really decide everything in our lives. And I think this kind of highlights that, that clash that we have of morality and the individual and where does that individual fit into the system and where does that individual's existence in the system matter? And do we have the right to remove that individual's existence in the system? Because then that's removing a vote even, right? Cannibalizing your opposition is a very common business strategy, right? But is it not extremely problematic in certain views when it involves, well, case in point, this story, (laughs) like there's a point where the morality lines crossed, right? And does this story not highlight how the democratic system can't truly solve everything,
1: And I don't think it was ever intended to. As we see this story unfold, it is secondhand of the the cannibal portion of the story. And in in 1868, there was no TV yet. There was no radio yet. Communication is better, but there wasn't as much transparency. And maybe that's one other thing that I took away from the story is it even back then or even today where we have – video cameras and you can stream c-span and watch pretty much everything there's still a lot of things that happen behind closed doors there isn't this level of transparency i think that people would like of i voted for this person i should know more or i voted for this person i should get more of a say so that my vote you know counts for something
0: yeah now let me let me wrap this up with let's take let's take a step back on the humility scale where the last paragraph, and if you miss this last paragraph, man, you miss, you miss a lot in the story, right? Because, because the guy gets off the train that's telling the story. And that's when the, I think, is it conductor ticket guy, someone, someone who works there comes, comes around conductor. It's like, he's like, well, that guy's a monomaniac. He's obsessed with this one story. He'll consume everyone on this train, telling him the story about how he was once captured in a snowstorm. <laughs> so now we're calling into question the veracity of the story. It, it becomes an unreliable narrator. And then now doesn't that also kind of flip a lot in this story too, where it's like, okay, if none of that was real, this man is obsessed with one thing, the story about being left alone and having to cross that ultimate Democrat, like a, democracy, moralistic standard. And now it's like all about selling the dream, right? If we go back to that point of like that first guy to propose, like, hey, you shouldn't be guilty of things after seven years, right? Here's this guy trying to change the system, right? For what purpose? He's selling his version of morality, his version of the truth, his version of the story for what gain, for what he thinks is right, right? And he's going to do anything he can to sell that story to you, which is... I don't know. It's sometimes we get too obsessed with winning over at what cost, the Pyrrhic victory, in a sense.
1: I think this comes down to something that maybe Twain didn't even realize that he was theorizing on is lobbying. And this literally is lobbying, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what lobbyists do is what this guy did on the train. And it's for some people, they see that as a major problem in our political system today that that almost breeds corruption and that's what this or doubt and that's what this man was doing he was breeding doubt on this train of like hey if we get stuck in a snowstorm i know what's going to happen and that's the same thing that kind of happens in our politics and you know our our democracy today and people are scared of that yeah for sure
0: i love that i love that you you sum up my thoughts in one word (laughs) that i that i couldn't do so appreciate that (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) All right, uh, I'll leave a playlist down below. Uh, do you think we should cover more Mark Twain? I don't think we've done too much on this channel with him. You said you've covered more. Maybe I should get with you, too, on, like, what would be some other, like, kind of fun stories, because it's gruesome. Buckleberry Finn. <laughs> it's funny. Well, I have read that, that one. That's a much different experience. <laughs> I know you've read those All right, ones. guys. My name's Ben Una. Thank you for spending time with us today. Peace out.
1: Peace.